Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16 and John 19. Mark 16 and John 19. You know, next week, most of the Christian world will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we will do that. And I'm thankful that He rose from the dead. Amen? Amen. But of course, that is what we do every week, isn't it? That's why we meet on Sunday is because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so that's why we gather together. But before Jesus Christ could rise from the dead, He had to die on the cross. And so today I want us to look at 12 unbelievable things that happened while Jesus Christ was on the cross. You know, when we use that word unbelievable, sometimes it's just something that you say, I don't know if I believe that. A little boy came home from church and his mom said, what did you learn in Sunday school today? He said, well, Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And as they were crossing the Red Sea, the Egyptians were chasing after him. Well, what happened? Well, Moses called in air support, and the jets came in, and then they had an aircraft carrier that came in, and they blew Pharaoh's, all Pharaoh's army out of the water. So mom said, Johnny, is that really what they taught you? Well, no, but you'd never believe what they really said. <laughs> you know, the fact that Moses led the children of Israel across the sea on dry ground and that then Pharaoh's army was swallowed up in the sea. That's a miracle of God. It's a miracle of God. And sometimes people say, you know what, I don't believe that. I just don't believe that. And you end up with people who say, yeah. Then there's other things that you say. Lydia, when she was little, she'd say, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. There are other things that are so amazing. She's, man, I can't believe that happened. Like Patrick, when she said yes, when you asked her out. You know, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe this happened. You ever been with something like that? I can't believe I got that. You get a gift. I can't believe I have this now. There are other things when you see something that's happened, you say, man, I can't believe that. There's some unbelievable things that happened on the cross when Jesus Christ died. Go to Mark chapter 15 with me, and I want you to see this. Mark 15. Look at verse 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they call the whole band together. And they call together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Lord, help us as we look at this text to maybe see it with fresh eyes today. And understand what Jesus Christ did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing that I want you to see is the unbelievable mockery. The unbelievable mockery. Isn't it amazing the, the contempt that people today, many people today, have for the Christian faith? Just, just mock it. And, you know, if, if I didn't believe something, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time mocking it. Right? You know, there are people that believe in all kinds of things, and... Man, my life is too busy. My life is too full. Why would I mock what someone else believes? But here they're doing more than that. They're mocking a man 
who's never done anything but help people. That's who they're mocking. 600 soldiers gather around Jesus Christ. They place a crown of thorns, that's thorns this big, and they pound it into his skull with sticks. And then they bow down before him. They put a robe of purple as if he's a king. And they, they just mock him. The unbelievable mockery. You know, there are people that mock the Christian faith. that you know Believing in Jesus is like believing in the, in the flying spaghetti monster. Just silly things like that. There's this group of people. They're called the New Atheists. And they attack Christianity in a very smug way. The problem is even their own proofs are against them. So those who don't believe in creation, they believe in the Big Bang. And according to physicists, and one Big Bang, I, I got a text from uh, James Knox this past week that said, Newsflash, Stephen Hawking converted. He believes in God today. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, Stephen Hawking would have been one who would have promoted that concept of the Big Bang and what that is, is there was a point in time when everything began. So there was, there was a time when matter didn't exist, and there was a time when energy didn't exist, and there was a time when time didn't exist. And so that means that whatever started that must have been timeless, immaterial, powerful, volitional, would have to have a will, a choice to do it, incredibly powerful to be able to do it, Right? Because it's, it's logically impossible for matter to create itself. So according to the Big Bang, everything had a beginning. So there was a time when there was no time. There was a time when there was no matter. There was a time when there was nothing. And so whatever started, it must be powerful, immaterial, timeless, volitional. I love it that the atheist has proven God for us. That's who God is. And that's who was on the cross the one that they were bowing before and mocking, the one that they were tormenting, that was the God that created the world. He who laughs last laughs best, and God has the last laugh. I want you to understand the absolute fallenness of this world. Why would anyone mock Jesus Christ of all people? Because they were evil. So the unbelievable mockery, the unbelievable malice. Look at verse 19. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. See, they didn't know anything about him. They thought he was weak. He was bound. How could they attack him as if it was personal? Now, I can understand anger, right? I've got that in me. I can understand anger. If somebody takes a political view or whatever that's different than what I do, I don't understand that position. But I don't usually get real angry about it. You know, if you disagree with me about tariffs, I'm not going to get mad at you. You know, it, so it, it's very interesting the things that people get angry about. But anger without reason, just crazy what they're doing to Jesus Christ here, attack without cause. I don't understand that. So like the Las Vegas shooting or the, the Parkland shooting, when you see those things happen, how many of you that's just hard for you to even comprehend? And I want you to think about something, what our world is doing. Our world wants emasculated, weak men. You understand that's who the Parkland shooter was. Because when you, when you weaken someone so badly, and then they're mentally disturbed, seven out of nine of the, the latest shooters, there's no dad in the house. And so you have this world 
that is turned upside down. And you end up with somebody that acts out in a way that is completely horrible. And we stand back and we say, that's unbelievable. How in the world could someone do this? And then we look at those standing on the outside. How in the world could people stand there who have the ability to stop it? Stand there and not go in. How can that happen? It's unbelievable to us, isn't it? And we look at what happened to Jesus Christ here. And we're saying they're just beating him and they're mocking him. And I don't understand that until I consider what the Bible says about the basic nature of human beings. You know, this is another evidence that the Bible is true. The Word of God is the best descriptor of human nature. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Experts say human beings are basically good in society or lack of education or necessity makes them evil. Isn't that what the world says? They're basically good. The reason they do this, we need education. The reason people kill is we need education. No, what you end up with is an educated murderer. The most diabolical people that have ever lived were highly educated. Now, we're for education. But education is not the cure. Anyone who builds an educational philosophy on the goodness of man is simply in store for a major failure. But, you know, the thing that I'm shocked at the most is not what other people do. It's what I do. That's what, as a believer, as a person who loves Jesus Christ, and I look at sometimes the way I think or the way that I want to behave, but I wouldn't be so shocked at my own sin if I didn't have such a high opinion of myself. You see, the reason that Jesus Christ died on the cross is because we're sinners. The reason Jesus Christ allowed this to happen, the reason that Jesus Christ endured this mockery is because we can't save ourselves. We're sinners. He needed to do it for us. Then look at the unbelievable moment, verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to, to crucify him. Can you imagine the king of the world, the creator of the world, the one who stepped out on the edge of nothing and spoke everything into existence, is now allowing himself to be led out. The one who created the trees is now being nailed to one. The one who created the elements, the one who created the materials to make the nails is now being held to a tree with a nail. It's an unbelievable thing, the unbelievable moment. But then the unbelievable conscription. Look at verse 21. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Can you imagine? You're just there. There's a public execution, and they pull you out of the crowd to participate in the execution. Can you imagine what that was like? And notice how he's identified the father of Alexander and Rufus. This, this means that the Christians knew who this was. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 13, Rufus is named there. So this man, it says he is, look at what it says again in verse 21, the end of the verse, the father of Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. So Simon reluctantly picks up the cross, ready for this, and it became his salvation. You see, his family became followers of Christ, and there's no evidence that he was a follower of Christ before this. You know, there are a lot of people in this room today who've been handed a cross they didn't expect. The teenager dragged kicking and screaming to church who finds the Savior and a purpose for living. You know that everybody has to have a purpose? If you don't have a purpose in life, man, this is the most meaningless existence. At least it's something called nihilism. There's just no reason for anything. There's no purpose for anything. 
There's nothing more nihilistic than a shooter at a school. Nothing has value. My life doesn't have purpose. Their lives don't have purpose. Let's just end it all. Nihilism. No purpose. The husband who came to church to please his wife and finds tears running down his face and he doesn't know why. The wife who thought everyone else needed the message until it finally hits home for her. See, Simon was just hanging around and a soldier said, Hey, you, take this cross. And the cross he didn't want became his salvation. Now, listen, I'm not saying carrying a piece of wood up a tree will save you. What I'm saying is Jesus Christ saved him. And he came face to face with him. Then I want you to see the unbelievable refusal. Look at verse 23. And they gave him, well, might as well read verse 22. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which being interpreted, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. Man, I've been there, and it's an amazing thing to see. And what's wild is now it's a bus parking lot. And you stand there, and you can see the skull, and you can see where Jesus Christ was crucified. And people just don't care. It's just a parking lot. It's just there. But look at this unbelievable refusal in verse 23. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. Why? Because it was a pain deadener. And this refusal of, the, of, of pain relief when Jesus Christ was on the cross, it was part of a process. You know, Jesus didn't have to come and become a man. The Bible says that, that he, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside that, that, that beauty. He laid aside the honor that he was due, and he became like one of us. Then he lived. He lived in a primitive culture, and he lived as a carpenter. And he endured pain, and he endured suffering. He endured the reproach of the world. He could have made it easy all along, but he didn't. He didn't do it because he wanted to accomplish our salvation. He did it for us. Jesus didn't have to go to Jerusalem that last day. He had already been offered fame and fortune and the temptation in the wilderness, but he chose the hard way of pain, labor, and toil. Before Pilate, he could have made any lawyer look foolish, but he stayed quiet. In the garden, he prayed, not your will, but mine. And on the cross, he could have had a drug that would have helped him, but he said no. He refused it. Why did he do this? He did it for us. They were hard nails, but he loved us. Jesus was on a nonstop journey. The Bible says he set his face as a flint to the cross. He had a purpose. He came for you and for me. His purpose was to suffer and die on the cross and to pay for our sin. That's what he was doing. And he had to drink that cup to the last drop. Then I want you to see the unbelievable robbery. This verse makes me mad, verse 24. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. Do you see that? It's grave, grave robbers doing their dirty work before he was even dead, gambling for the spoils. See, it was his. That coat was his. Those things were his. They should have gone to the people that loved him, but they didn't. I feel the same way when people pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. The thing that Jesus Christ did to pay for our sin, the only thing that could accomplish our sin was His suffering on the cross. And then you have people that come along and they want to say, no, He didn't really die, He just swooned. Or, yes, He died on the cross, but that's not enough. You have to do this and you have to do this. You have to do this penance. You have to do this sacrament. You have to have this baptism. You have to do these things. You have to give this money. You have to speak in tongues. People who add things to the gospel, they're 
stealing the truth of the Word of God. And it's not theirs. It's not theirs. Theologians who have taken the truth and perverted it. Doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Then I want you to see the unbelievable reading. Look at verse 26. Verse 26. uh, Verse uh, 25. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. Do you see that? The king of the Jews. Keep your place here. Go to John chapter 19. Look at verse 20 or verse 19. And Pilate wrote a title, John 19, 19. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Pilate wanted everybody to understand the message. Isn't that interesting? Go back to the book of Mark. See, Pilate included this inscription to mock the Jews because he was the king of the Jews. He was doing this to mock them. God used Pilate's foolhardiness to proclaim a truth to the entire world. Jesus Christ is king. Amen? Jesus Christ is king. Even when his sovereignty is not recognized, he's king. The problem is that Jesus doesn't rule from an earthly throne like they wanted him to. But there's something you need to understand. You can't separate Jesus Christ's saviorship from his lordship. He's supposed to be on the throne of your life. He's supposed to be on the throne of your life. You know, it's interesting. You know, there are people that don't believe this ever happened. Muslims don't believe Jesus Christ died on the cross. There are some today smug people that think that they know more. And they deny. There are people, there are atheists, well, even Google recently. Well, if you type in Jesus, it said a mythical figure. Have you heard of B.C. and A.D.? All of human history changed. You know, people say, well, not in China. Oh, yeah? It changed the whole world. You've got to take your brain out and play with it to believe that Jesus Christ never lived. He's a historical figure. The unbelievable reading. He's the king of the world. And he wants to rule your life. I've got some bad news and some good news. The bad news is that everybody is going to bow before Jesus Christ. You know your atheism isn't going to protect you from that moment? Did you know that your false religion isn't going to protect you from that moment? You see, because he is Lord. Whether you like it or not, he's Lord. He's heaven's Lord. He's earth's Lord. He's the tadpole's Lord. He's every animal's Lord. He's the Lord of the world. He is God. That's who He is. 
And your rejection of that doesn't proclaim your intelligence. It proclaims your ignorance and your horrible need for a Savior. You understand the most brilliant people that have ever lived were Christians. And there have been some amazingly brilliant people that have died and have gone to a Christless eternity because they thought they were too smart for God. You see, the cross was real. Jesus Christ died because we need it. Jesus Christ died because I'm a sinner. That's why He died on the cross. So good news. The bad news is you're going to bow. The good news is you can do it willingly right now. You can do it willingly. Then look at the unbelievable company, verse 27. And with Him, they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand and the other on the left. And the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and He was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on Him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Again, the mockery. But look at this unbelievable company. The best person who ever lived is dying between two of the worst. They're not petty criminals. They're probably cohorts of Barabbas. And they're supposed to die with him now and Jesus, and with, and Jesus is in his place. Why couldn't they give Jesus an honorable death like they gave Socrates? Why did they have to mock him and ridicule him? Because Satan hates God. Jesus still resides with a bunch of sinners and that's why he's here with us. The Bible says Christ didn't die for the godly but for the ungodly. But God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's such an important thing for us to understand. We need Him. We need Him before we're saved. We need Him after we're saved. And we'll need Him throughout all eternity. He's our Savior. We need Him because we are sinners. It's unbelievable that the thieves in their last moments of life, that one of them should revile the one that's their only hope for heaven. The prospect of one's death usually has the result of drawing that person to God like they're cramming for finals. The thief asking Christ to save him would seem to be normal. But here's the principle. You die the way that you live. If you're here and you think that you're going to turn to Christ someday, you may never have that opportunity. And the simple fact is you will keep going away from God until you die and you end up in a Christless eternity. When Jesus Christ paid all of this for you, If you're drowning, don't throw rocks at the one who's coming to save you. Look at the unbelievable challenge. Verse 29. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. It's interesting. People do that same thing today. They do the same thing. There are people today that, that this concept of Jesus Christ on the cross, they just mock it as if it doesn't matter. The, a, a gorilla can be shot because a kid falls in the, the pen and, and the whole world mourns. And when you have the God of the world who came and lived a sinless life and suffered torture on the cross, there are people that just don't care. The chief priests... Look at verse 31. Likewise, also the chief priest mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself He cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they 
that were crucified with him reviled him. These chief priests, smug in their garments of complacency and self-esteemed, robed in their legalistic phylacteries and fringes, members of the priesthood watched him there. They watched in bitterness the work of their sour hatred and vengeance. Jesus had questioned their authority and criticized their adding to God's law and their petty rituals and vain ceremonies. What they did not know because of their incredible spiritual blindness was that they, as priests, were seeing that day the great high priest making himself a sacrifice of himself. By that sacrifice, he was making full, perfect, and sufficient atonement for the sins of the whole world. To this moment, all the blood on Jewish altars shed had like a crimson carpet marked the way. And all the smoke of all the sacrificial fires since Abel's crude altar at the gate of Eden gathered in a cloud which in his dying hour shut him from the sight of God and men. I want you to see the unbelievable response of creation. Look at what it says in verse 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. What is this? What's going on? Creation reflects the Creator. When Jesus Christ died, the Creator of the world was hanging on a cross in our place, and the tears of creation were shed for His death. Don't be a pantheist and worship the earth, but understand when you see nature to remember Him. The Bible says, if we don't praise Him, the rocks would cry out. The world responds to the Creator because it is His creation. And I want you to see the unbelievable cry. Look at verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, this is all repeated in Psalm chapter 22. Those who deny the Scriptures 700 years before this happened, the psalmist prophesied exactly what everyone in the situation would say. 700 years ahead of time, they said that these people would say these things. Do you think that those people that were mocking Jesus were trying to fulfill Scripture? No, of course not. When I consider the death of Jesus, this is the thing that affects me the most. This horrible loneliness. Remember that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. They've been together for eternity. Jesus Christ is on the cross, and we don't understand exactly what was happening. He may have just been quoting the Scripture but we know that he was alone. He was alone paying the sin, paying for the sin of all mankind. From the wilderness to the garden to the cross, Jesus had been completely connected to the Father. He was sustained, loved, comforted, empowered, cared for, understood, and accepted. The Father had bound up his broken heart and dried his tears. On the cross, Jesus was completely fully and frighteningly alone. You know, people who have lost a loved one can understand that loneliness. When Queen Victoria's husband died, she said, now there's no one to call me Victoria. When JFK was shot, JFK Jr. walked up to a reporter and said, are you a daddy? He said, yes. He said, well, then will you throw me up in the air? That loneliness, it's It's unbelievable. 
Why did he experience it? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in his substitutionary death on the cross, you need to understand he did it for you. He did it for you. He did it for me. See, reconciliation is the work is accomplished by the work of substitution. Verse Hebrews seven twenty six says, For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. God made Jesus Christ sin. Now, positive confession people, people like Kenneth Copeland, he said when Jesus was on the cross, he became a sinner. Of course, that's blasphemous. Kenneth Copeland said on the cross, he became a sinner and had to go to hell for three days to pay for his sin. And once he had paid the penalty for his sins in hell, he was released to be born again through the resurrection. Just complete blasphemy. If he had become a sinner on the cross, then he would have perished. But what happened on the cross is God treated Jesus the way I deserve to be treated. So he can treat me the way Jesus deserves to be treated. Why did Jesus live 30 silent years? You know, we don't know. You know we, we know of the account when he was 12, went into the temple. That's it. Why did he live 30 silent years? So that he could be tempted and suffer and live like us, but be completely sinless so that he could die on the cross for us. He died on a cross as if he had lived your life so that you could be considered by God as if you had lived His life. One man wrote this, At death and even before, two roads diverge. Hell lies down one and heaven up the other. And where the turnpike splits hangs the God-man who illuminates my choice of destinies. I daily stop like Bunyan's pilgrim and look up into that faithful, thorn-ringed face. I cannot look too long. For just the shortest glance causes me to lower my eyes and beg him to answer grace's greatest question. Is all of this for me? Yes. Yes, it is. We should have suffered there. Not the Roman soldiers, nor Pilate's orders, nor the hostile Jewish priesthood, but our sins nailed him there. By our own rejection and denial of his rule within our lives, we wove the thorns into a crown to be beaten into his brow. Each of us has a share in the stripes that were laid on his back. Each blasphemy of an uncontrolled tongue cut deeply into his flesh. He was stung by the cords of our rebellion. He was cut deeply by the stubbornness of our pride and self-will. Bob Jones Jr. wrote this, Those nails were mined out of the evil pits and dark galleries of our vain sinful thoughts heated at the fires of our lusts, forged on the anvil of our hatred, and driven into his quivering flesh by the hammer of our depravity. Each stinging, nerve-wracking blow, a sin that we committed, that tree became a cross. But it was a cross we fashioned, fashioned from the gifts God gave us, perverted to our own selfish pleasure, from talents which, yielded to God, might have blessed the world, but which we used for self and sinful gratification." Fashioned from these, 
was his cross. I want you to notice one last thing. Look at what it says. Verse 34, And at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is, being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. You know, the last part of it is an unbelievable love. Unbelievable love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you love Jesus today? Amen. Amen. Man, I love Him. I'm thankful for His sacrifice. I'm thankful for the opportunity to tell you what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And I'm very sad that if you reject it, then His payment for you was a waste. And you'll suffer the torments of eternity forever when you had a precious Savior who said, just believe in me. Just believe in me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for dying on the cross.